0: Thank you. Okay, well, we resume our study in the Book of Isaiah. And um, why is Isaiah unique? Different? Notable? Important? What is anything that comes to your mind when you think about the Book of Isaiah? Anything at all? Because it's the Little Bible. Okay, it's the Little Bible. Many scholars have called it the Little Bible. Uh, Let me go to that in a second. Um, Because, uh, of course, there's 66 chapters in the Book of Isaiah and there is uh... here they make note of it here um, and of course in the bible there's sixty six books uh... there's thirty nine books in the old testament and then there's twenty seven in the new testament with the breaking chapter being forty which is, introduces so to speak uh... the new the new testament and we're going to see we're going to get into chapter 40, t- 40 today that's very significant uh... the other thing of course in uh... isaiah Uh, In terms of prophecies about the Messiah, more than any Old Testament writers, and this is written 700 years before Christ uh, came to the earth, it's quoted in the New Testament more than any of the other prophets. It's mentioned 21 times by name in the New Testament. Um, And you're going to see it it is like a mini-Bible because the first section uh, through... um, uh, 39 chapters, like the Old Testament, it's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of call to repentance, a lot of the prophets go forth, but starting in the New Testament, there's this introduction of the New Covenant, and it's in this 40 to chapter 66 of the book of Isaiah, we're going to see the suffering servant is coming, we're going to see all these messianic prophecies that are going to be fulfilled, we're going to see at the end of uh, Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, a new heaven and a new earth, which is very similar to the end of the New Testament in the book of Revelation. Anything else about the book of Isaiah? Anything at all? The most uh, messianic prophecies? Yeah. It, it's, uh, uh, of course, Psalms has a lot, but in specific prophecies about the Messiah, virgin birth, uh, he's going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Then, of course, we're going to come to the suffering servant, Isaiah 52, 53, and all, all of these others. And then we're going to see a big thing about the book of Isaiah is that salvation is extended to the gentiles to the nations that's a very important point so when John the Baptist introduces Jesus and says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world that's we're going to see in a moment that's loaded with all kinds of implications uh number 1 he uses this word behold which we're going to see here in Isaiah 40 but it's like take notice or this be you know be one uh Awesome, you know this. Look at this proclamation: that, uh, behold, the Lamb. Of course, that has Passover implications—the sacrificial Lamb who takes away. Why is that verb so important? It doesn't cover. It. Doesn't cover like the old covenant; those sins covered. You know, every year that's why it had to be repeated. We just celebrated. I mean, in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur last month. Right, David told them. Every year, covering, it, covering. It. it just suggested that. The soul that sins shall surely die. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. It has all these elements of the innocent dying for the guilty. But when Jesus comes, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that has we see that in Isaiah with all these Gentile implications. Yeah. There's just so many scriptures of comfort in Isaiah. Like offer I am strength, like refuge, and refuge. There's so many verses that are very comforting to those who are struggling. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. I mean, that's where we open today. In chapter 40, what's the first verse? Comfort. Comfort, yes. Comfort my people, says your God. Uh, Maybe you were reading that too. I don't know. But uh, that word comfort will be used 13 times from chapter 40 to chapter 66. Why do these people need to hear that word from the Lord of comfort? Why do they need that reassurance? What's been going on in Isaiah? There's been a lot of woes. There's been a lot of woes. Not a lot of blessings because, what, what, you know, you have the northern kingdom. I may have a map here. Uh, I have another one, I think. No, I don't. We'll get to that. But here's what's happening essentially: uh, is you have this captivity. There you have the northern kingdom, which is often known as Israel. That's the ten tribes, and they go first. And it's the Assyrians that'll come down and get them. Sennacherib and all. It's a lot of the Old Testament you'll find out is historical and talks about how these guys go into captivity and uh... there's no promise for their return as there is with the southern kingdom what's another name for the southern kingdom judah Judah. that's where jerusalem is what tribes occupy the southern kingdom that who said benjamin Benjamin and uh... judah uh... are the and of course when he's writing this they're still in captivity but it's a comforting message that that captivity is going to come to an end. And God's going to restore them, God's going to heal them, he's going to bring them back into the, into the promised land, as it were. Um, so there you have it. I mean, now this occupies, of course, when you're thinking about the northern up into Assyria, it's present day what? Roughly. Uh, it, yeah, you got, you, you know, Nineveh up there is, well, we just saw that with the war in Iraq, remember? They actually were going into these different places. And down here, there's Iran, uh, down in this region, and these are major powers in that day. You know, you had, you had Assyria, you had Babylon, then you had Egypt, over that direction, and later on you're going to have the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And so you got major players, uh, and you have little Israel, you know, just, it's just, even when you go to Israel today, how many people say they can't believe how small it is? You know, am I right? We get on the bus from the Galilee, you're down to Jerusalem. It's like, you know, like going from here to Columbus or something. It's just, it's just a small, without God's hand of protection upon it, they're, they're defenseless. They have no, they don't have chariots, they don't have the weapons, they don't have the, what these big guys have. And that's why they're totally dependent on the Lord for their protection, their provision, his sustenance. And when they move away from that, uh, that's when you find out these, um, God's promise, blessing to them. If you turn for a moment back to Deuteronomy um, chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, and this is when they're coming into the land and God's given these instructions, admonitions, warnings, if you will. But chapter 28, it, it's, it's front-loaded with blessings. Um, look at chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. I'll put that on the word. And if somebody read the first five, okay, just first five verses there. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your brown, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. So, Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. So, what's what's uh, the Lord saying here to his people? He's got them out of Egypt, out of captivity, taking them now into the promised land. What's he saying here? What's the children's song? They always pre- sing. Trust. And obey for there's no other I mean that's what God is saying here. Do this, listen to me. I brought you out of captivity by my mighty hand. I took you out of the most powerful nation where you were imprisoned in slavery for 400 years. Listen to me, obey me, walk in my statutes. If you do that, then you know prosperity and, 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 and protection and abundance. But if you don't, look at verse. Uh, Uh, let's do uh, same chapter, verse 15 through 18. Somebody if you read that, please. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your meeting trough will be cursed of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Okay, so there, and later on he'll say in that same uh, chapter, verse uh, 33, A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land, produce the produce of your labor. Now nations are coming in. You shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes will see. The Lord will strike you in the knees. Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone you shall be astonishment to all nations so that's what we're seeing here in the isaiah is that they disobey god and and we and god would launch send prophets with basically a singular message was what what was really the 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 message of the prophets Repent 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 and return forsake your idols take care of the weak the widow, the orphan, for, forsake immorality, tear down the high places, the sacred groves, and return to me. Yes, Beth, you uh, hit your I just think it's interesting. Uh, they didn't have a king at that time, but God said, The king you will set over you. Mm-hmm. He knew it, was it was prophetic, in a sense. Yeah. 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 Any other thoughts on this? That kind of sets this up uh, for this whole thing that's going on here, uh, back to Isaiah. So now, um, as God warned them, and of course they didn't listen. They didn't, they really, they wanted to serve God. Remember we looked at earlier verses and chapters. It says they kept the sacrifices going, they went to worship God in the temple, but what? They kept the high places, they still had the incense altars, they still, uh, the sacred groves. So they, they blended the two religious. The, the true Religion if you will uh, of worship in the temple uh, Following God's ordinances, but then they merged uh, with the Amorites the Canaanites the Hittites Uh, They took on some of their lifestyle. They didn't live what we would call a separated life Uh, They were Israel was meant to be a city on a hill It was really God wanted to display his glory there his presence with there and the idea that nations would come there to inquire of the Lord to learn about him You see this, like with the Ethiopian eunuch, remember he's up there the day of Pentecost. He's not a believer yet. He wants to learn more about Naaman the leper, you know, different Gentiles you see coming. But again, in a sense, Israel forsake that. And that's why Jesus, right before his Passion Week, will be on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kidron Valley, and he'll say, what, Jerusalem, Jerusalem? He weeps, but he says what? Yeah, he says, how I would have gathered you as a mother hand gathers a chick, but you would not. Now your house is left to you desolate. You know, and that would happen th- approximately 35 years after his ascension uh, with the Roman army would come in. One of the worst disasters ever uh, in terms of uh, how they encircled Jerusalem. They starved the people out. They finally came up. Not one stone would be left upon another, Jesus said. You can still see that today. If you go to the Temple Mount, you see big stones that the Romans pushed over, still in the concrete. And they were the diaspora. They would go to all the nations. You know, they'd be cast out to all the nations of the earth, just like it was prophesied, you know, it's sad to say. But then God still has his hand on the Jewish people, you see. Perhaps the most blessed people ever. I mean, just if you look at it practical terms, if you look at Nobel Peace Prize winners, it's it's amazing how many are, are, are Jewish in the medical, the engineering, the literary. Uh, and then uh, and the writers and giftedness and everything else all through uh, history, but most importantly, I mean, they gave us the prophets and they gave the Messiah would come through that, you know. So very much, a blessed uh, people, albeit a persecuted people through history. Any thoughts on any of this as we move into Isaiah? Okay, so back to Isaiah chapter forty. This, like I said, this is a pivotal chapter because, in a sense, if you look at that mini Bible concept of uh, Uh, Isaiah. This chapter 40 would would parallel the start of the New Testament. You know, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. This would be the opening, and it's here where God is going to bring a message to comfort to a beleaguered people who have suffered, they're in captivity, and he says, uh, chapter 40 of Isaiah, verse 1, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Notice he calls them my people. Uh, Even in their rebellion, even in their disobedience and all, He's still their people. You know, he hasn't forsaken them. Uh, Says your God, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, uh, that her iniquity is pardoned. So here we're going to see God has forgiven. He's going to restore. He's going to reclaim them. Uh, She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, this is where he introduces this idea of deliverance. And he says in verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway from our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is a very powerful, all of this chapter is extremely powerful and pivotal in the messaging of the book of Isaiah. But here he's saying what? Get ready. ready. And he's got near fulfillment. This is what's called near fulfillment and far fulfillment in Bible prophecy. You're going to get out of captivity. You know, you're going to get out, just like he promised they were going to get out of captivity in Egypt. He actually had promised that years before to Abraham. Your people will go down and serve another nation. Then I'll get them out after 400 years. But now he's saying here, they're going to get out, but there's also the hint now of the prophecy of what or whom? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And all four Gospels will use this, what I call cut and paste. They'll, they'll bring this forward. Yes, Joyce. Um, and that first verse, that you says, know, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Who's he speaking? Probably Isaiah. God speaking to Isaiah with the message of comfort. Does that make sense? Because you'll it see. It doesn't sound like Jerusalem. It doesn't sound like the world. No, this is still specific on God's people that are going to be delivered from. Uh, they're, they're in the Babylonian. You know, this is the Jerusalem people, the tribe of Judah. They're going to. How long do they, are they captive or held captive in uh, Babylon? 70 years. You know, this prophesied. And Daniel, when he's in captivity, he figures that out and he knows when they're going to be getting out, so to speak. But this is a message of comfort. Uh isn't it interesting when Jesus uh left this planet he promised what in uh John chapter 14 John chapter 16 Although I leave you as children I will not leave you alone for I will send the <coughs> comforter comforter advocate one who walks alongside. Uh so you're going to see this kind of crossing back and forth. So here we see this famous uh the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert And also, it has this idea of this highway uh, kind of a deal, imagery. Uh, We looked at this earlier in Isaiah chapter 35. If you turn there just for a moment. Um, um, What's interesting about these, even though they have application to ancient Israel and the situation there, it it has present day, New Testament application, which has, in a sense, application in our own lives but notice what it says here. Uh, it talks about chapter 35, the wilderness, verse one, the wasteland shall be glad, a desert shall bloom. All of this poetic language of a, an abundance is coming. Uh, then it says at the end of verse two, they shall see the glory of the Lord. That's very important. Uh, then it says, strengthen the weak hands, verse three, make firm the feeble knees. Uh, and then it says, um, verse five, the eyes of the blind shall be open the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer. Now that's poetic language, but when our Lord comes, he's displaying all of these miracle uh, powers, you know, blind eyes open, uh, the lame walk, the deaf hear, dead are risen. All of this is coming out of the Old Testament. Do do you understand how that works? And so now he says, um, verse 8, if if somebody would read verse uh, 8, please. Chapter 35, Isaiah The road will be there, and a way will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. Okay, so now we see this introduction of this highway, uh, this road. Uh, and again, their return, there's a practical application for Israel, because they're coming down those road systems from assyria from babylon you know so but now it has this spiritual idea um, there's no unclean thing shall pass over it whoever walks the road although a fool shall not go astray Uh, no lion shall be there no ravenous beast the ransom of the lord shall return you know it's it's this idea there's a road now there's a way that god has provided and we see this figure this voice back in isaiah chapter 40 He's speaking with this imagery of a road, where he says, "Verse four in Isaiah 40: Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low." What is he saying? The rough place made, made smooth. What what is that imagery referencing? I mean, he's not building a highway or you know I 90 or something. what. Yeah, you're preparing the way for the king, and it, of course, John the Baptist's major message was what? Repentance. Repentance. He's like an Old Testament prophet. He really is. He's like the last of the Old Testament prophets. My understanding was also is days when the king was coming to a city ahead of time, they would get the roads all Oh yeah. They were cleaning it up for royalty. You know, not just. Definitely, and we saw that the years we spent in Thailand, that was one of the oldest living monarchies ever. Still, they have a king; they're somewhat democratic now. But uh, when uh, the king was coming, he never visited our town. But the royal, some of the royal family would come. They'd be out for months ahead of time with all these civic projects, you know, uh, painting, getting the road systems, taking potholes out, getting rid of stray dogs. You know, it's like rolling out the red carpet. you ever hear that expression? Roll out of the red carpet. It's that, it's that idea, prepare you the way, this person is coming. This very important person is coming. If that's a president, tell him I'll call him later. I yeah. got some. <laughs> Yeah. Somebody else had their hand up? But do you understand that imagery? And so when you come to the New Testament, you'll see that same thing, especially when Jesus says broad is the way and wide the gate to destruction But what? narrow the way to eternal life you understand there's there's simply one way and that's why when john chapter 14 verse 6 when jesus says i am the way the truth not i'm going to show you the way he says i am the way and that's why early followers of jesus were called what followers of the way even more christian is only used three times in the new testament that word but followers of the way or disciple is used many times yes please somebody had their hand up yes please well, in part of uh, verse 8 there 35, the unclean shall not pass over it. And then it goes on to say, but it shall be for others in my translation mm-hmm. here. Uh, I'm unclear on. Um, to me, the others are the Gentiles. It could be because. Could it reference the Gentiles? Or later on, we'll see specific referencing uh, that there's coming a light for the Gentiles. But if. Well, again, what Isaiah does, some call him the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. He uses a lot of poetic language, you know, metaphors and, and analogies. And so if you, um, what we know with the highway system is God has, has made a way. Let's put it that way. He will refine that and define that more as we go along that this is going to be a very specific way when he introduces the um, suffering Messiah and this but I think it's a good point because he is going to expand the message it's just not for Israel it's just not for Judah it's going to be for the Gentiles a light to the world yes Yeah, it, it, I think what he's implying, it's a safe way. There's not ravenous. Don't forget road systems back then. They were treacherous. I mean, there was bandits and there was, you know, kind of people that would rob you or kidnap you. Same way in different parts of the world today. So he's saying here there's going to be a sure way of, of positive love, you know, this holy way that God's going to establish here. Now, this John the Baptist, again, every gospel is going to reference him. If you turn to... Um, Let's go to Luke first, because this sets it up, and I think we should look at this, because um, the prophecies being fulfilled are incredible, I think. But Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, is where we see, uh, now, the the Old Testament ends, last book of the Old Testament is what? Malachi. Malachi. The distance, time distance between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the curtain right here to the New Testament is approximately how many years? About 400 years. They call it the Inner Testament or the Maccabean period. And here we see this man named Zacharias, a priest. He's in the temple. Now, he's offering, uh, verse 11, uh, Luke chapter 1, he's standing at the right side of the altar, the altar of incense. Now, you all took Fred's course, and he went through furniture of the temple. Am I right? right Where is the altar of incense? Right before the holy of holy. Okay, I wanted one of your students. Oh okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, you go into the holy place. On the right, table of showbread. Twelve, almost like pita bread, we would call it today, representing the twelve tribes. On the left would be the menorah, the seven uh, candlesticks on a singular stem. Then you go forward... And you have the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. This curtain, but in front of the curtain is a small altar. Nothing like the altar outside where they offered the animal sacrifice. But there the, the priest would go in and he would offer incense. The incense would go up. That's why when you read the Psalms it says, your prayers came up to me like incense. Well, the priest is right in the presence of God, separated only by that curtain. So they continually offered incense. He could not go into the Holy of Holies. How many, who could go in there and how often? Once a year, and a special priest, not only Levitical, but Aaronic from the tribe of Aaron. He would go through the curtain after he did the, literally, sacrifice for Israel, but also for himself, because he was was a sinner. But that's where the scene opens. It's very interesting, it opens in the temple. And then this angel speaks to him and basically says, your, you and your wife, your wife's going to have a baby, okay? Now, what makes that remarkable to Zacharias, let alone hearing a voice when you're offering <laughs> you know What? Elizabeth is beyond childbearing. And this speaks through the Old Testament when you see what's known as the miracle births. Can you think of any miracle births in the Old Testament? Sarah. Sarah. Uh, Samuel. Samuel. Remember, Hannah was well, Hannah was way beyond childbearing. You know, Isaac. Isaac. So what I'm getting at: these miracle births should not surprise us. Uh, but here we see another one. Of course, that sets up for the biggest miracle birth of all would be, of course, the virgin-born child. Okay, so you get these hints all the way through, so it's not a big surprise, even though Isaiah prophesized the virgin birth back in Isaiah chapter seven. Verse fourteen. So here he says, "Your wife's going to have." You shall call him John. Could have called him Harold. Could have called him. They called him John. Okay. They called him John, and he will be the way. Now he's going to link up this idea of um, when he comes. He's got a special uh, mission, and it says here, uh, uh, verse thirty-one: "Behold, you will conceive in your." Uh, so he's going to bring forth the one. That is going to be the one to announce uh, the coming Messiah. And he says here, uh, verse 19, the angel, uh, chapter 1, the angel answered and said, hey, I am Gabriel, stands in the presence. Be- behold, you will be mute because he, he questioned it, not able to speak until the days is taken place and fulfilled. And then he says in verse uh, 16 uh, of chapter 1 speaking of john the baptist and he will turn many of the children of israel to the lord their god he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. so this is very important why why is he coming in the spirit and the power of elijah where's he getting that from malachi see if you turn to malachi i'll show you these prophecies are extremely important um Because here, last book of the Old Testament, it it says uh, something—a very significant prophecy. uh, Interesting, perhaps the last prophecy in the Old Testament, where it says in chapter three. um, If somebody would read uh, chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse one. I'll put on the board. What version do you have? No, I'm joking. Chapter 3, verse 1. See where it says, Behold? Okay. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, whom you do like, Behold, who is coming, says the Lord of the Okay. Here we see this word again, Behold. Behold. That's why John will introduce Jesus at the River Jordan saying what? Behold. This is big. It's great now what what is he saying what's some of the things he's saying there who's saying he's going to send this who's saying this the Lord Lord. okay the Lord says I the Lord speaking I will do what send he's the one that's going to send John John's not sent by men Send. what then my messenger my messenger and he'll do what what does the next verse say prepare the way for who for me. For me. Do you understand? God's not saying for a prophet. He's not sending a man. He's saying he's going to prepare the way for me, God. There's no ambiguity here. Is that is that understandable? This is God coming. But he's going to send this man to prepare a way for me. The Lord. What else does it say there in that singular verse? The Lord seeking. Were people at the time of Jesus seeking the Messiah? Yeah. Who? Actually, a lot. How about when they presented Jesus in the temple? Anna and in Simeon. There, even the woman at the uh, Well of Samaria, Samaritan, she says, we know the Messiah comes, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. There was people looking for and did respond to the claims of Jesus. It's just nationally, Israel did not. He came to his own... And his own reception. What else does it say? He's going to, he's coming, the Lord's coming, he's going to send somebody to prepare the way. What else? He was sought after. He was deliver the new covenant. Okay, good. He's going to bring in a new covenant. What you desire. What you desire. Because why? The old covenant was so hard, the law system was so hard to live under. You know, they, they knew a new covenant was coming, Jeremiah 31, 31 and other places predicted. So there's a new covenant coming. Who's going to bring the new covenant? The Lord, not the messenger. The Lord. And where is he going to come? He's going to come to his temple. Where is his where is that arise? First fifty announcement about the coming Messiah? In the temple. Where's Jesus anointed and as a little baby? In the temple, and the famous prophecies given. Uh, where is Jesus at uh, age twelve? He speaks his first words, recorded words in the Scripture. Where is he, and what's he say there? I must be about my father's business. His ministry starts with the focus on his heavenly Father. At the end, even on the cross, his first words on the cross are what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His last words on the cross are what? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This idea runs all the way through, and you'll see, we don't have time this morning, Jesus' ministry in the temple. Boom, he's coming in there. Uh, At different times, teaching on the outer porch, coming in, making the pronouncement. He stands in front of the temple, John chapter 2. He says, destroy this temple. Raise it up in three days. Just incredible announcements. Incredible, incredible. But people that are don't have access to the, you know, that have the Holy Spirit. And look at, uh, unbeliever can just gloss over this. You know, at Christmas time, you know, yes. the word became flesh, but you know, okay, you know, close But what is this meaning? What are the implications for this? How does God show us that this is true? Because we have a completed volume book, i.e. the Old Testament, 400 years before the events, and they're just coming straight on, straight on like that. Okay. So stay in Malachi, but look what he says in the, um, Chapter 4, and these are the last verses of the Old Testament. He says in verse 5, chapter 4 of Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And this idea of that repentance, restoration. And when you go into the New Testament, you'll see how Jesus confirms this. Yeah, I just want to show you this, then we'll go back into Isaiah. Look at John, uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Uh, this is the famous passage here um, where John is now in prison. Matthew chapter 11. What was the reason John was in prison? What was the reason John was killed? pardon me? Yeah, and he publicly denounced that. You see? And who really wanted John killed? In Elijah's days, he did great miracles. Remember in the in, we confronted the prophets of Baal, and he did a great miracle, then he ran and he was hiding in a almost like in a cave, because who wanted to kill him? Jezebel. Who? Jezebel. Jezebel. Why? He spoke against the marriage of Ahab and Jezebel. So Again, not today, but we can run an interesting comparison between Elijah and John the Baptist. Both were wilderness preachers. Both come on, and they're kind of strange looking, but their message is heavy on repentance. Um, so here they come, and now John's in there. Verse 2, John had heard in prison about the works of Jesus. He sent two of his disciples, and he said, ask him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? What does that tell you? What does that say? huh? Yeah. he had uncertainty there's, there's nothing wrong with doubts you consider the revelation John had uh, he said it was told him or revealed to him when I see the spirit of God descending on this person I'm baptized and that's the one I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals you know, so he had an incredible revelation just like Elijah had incredible revelation of God but circumstances changed scenery had changed now, Elijah was alone. John's alone. And John is days away from martyrdom. He probably realizes he's going to be killed. But he knows where to take his doubts. Where does he take his doubts? Jesus. To Jesus. You see? He takes his doubts to Jesus. Are you the one? And notice what Jesus says. Uh, John chapter 4. Uh, Go and tell John the things that, which you hear and see. I'm not just saying this. I'm, you're seeing this. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel. What does Jesus take them to? Good Beth, Isaiah 35. You see how the usage is here? So he takes them, he could have said, go tell John what? It's It's me. He told the woman at the well of Samaria, John chapter four, yeah, I'm the Messiah. He told the blind man, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one. But John, he takes him to the weight of the word. Um, he takes that back that's the key you know the word the word of God is unchangeable and and he he says you go tell John that and when then Jesus gives this famous uh, affirmation about John uh, testimony he says verse 7 what did you go out to the wilderness see a reed shaken in the wind Uh, what did you go out and see a man clothed in soft garment Uh, no I tell you uh, more than that you saw a prophet For this is whom it was written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before me. Where's he getting that from? Malachi Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. So do you see the interrelationship? To me, this is so powerful because the more our faith is attacked, the more we see that it's based in a two-book system. No other religion, philosophy, worldview has what we have in this. And that's why you see Jesus, Paul, Peter all use this. I believe we have to use this more and understand this more in our day and age. Yeah. How many think Christianity is being assaulted today? <laughs> That's okay. I mean, it's expected. Jesus says, "In this world, you will have tribulation." You don't keep that promise by the toaster and those little promise buttons. Hey, today, no. But, uh, <laughs> but be of good cheer. He says, "For I've overcome the world." The idea being, we have such a, a rock-solid source of authority. It's really immovable. If, because nobody has that, do you understand? And I've talked to Buddhists, I've talked to Muslims, talked, and I, I ask their own experiences, is there anything that shows a uh, prediction or a, a highly detailed prof- prophecy, a 100 years, none of them. Uh, I, w- I remember with a Buddhist guy, he was a super nice guy, and he says, I think somewhere in the Buddhist scripture, they call it Dharma, there's a says that uh, when the iron bird flies, Dharma will go to the west. He says, that means in later centuries that this teaching will go to... I said, wow. He says, that was the only thing he could think of, that when there's airplanes. But I mean, we have high specificity here. Do you understand? We're going to see that as we go through Isaiah. Yes, somebody had a question or comment on this? So you see in this usage of the Old Testament applied to the New Then he says this about John. Um, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John... So really, here it says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah. I'm in Matthew chapter 11 Verse uh, verse 12 and 13 and 14. So he's saying a lot here. He's saying, All the prophets prophesied until John. Okay? He's an old testament style prophet. He even looks like it. You know, he comes out of the wilderness, he's wearing leather, he's eating, you know, honey and, and this kind of thing, and um, locusts, and he he says, what does he mean, if you are able to receive it, he is Elijah who is prophesied to come? Mm -hmm. He's going back to Malachi chapter 4, before the great... What does he mean, this is Elijah? Does that mean he was Elijah? No. 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 What did it happen in (laughs) Luke chapter... The spirit and the power of Elijah. Does that make sense? Because I've read books and they think, well, Elijah was caught up into heaven, he didn't die, therefore he was reincarnated. Was, no. Once you understand it, like Jesus says, if you can receive it, this is like a heavier teaching, he says he came, when you compare scripture to scripture, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Preaching repentance. Preaching, if I said today, what our country needs is another Abraham Lincoln. You know, would you think I meant a guy six foot four, wears a no. stove cap real thing? No i mean somebody with that gravitas that wisdom that that you see that spirit and power of same thing going on here but you see how all these prophecies connect here any thoughts on angus okay let's go back and anyhow um he says uh one thing he says about john he says of men born to woman that it's another verse "Uh, there is none greater than john verse 11. truly in matthew chapter 11 Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does he mean by that? Of men born of women. None risen greater than John the Baptist. Huh? Pardon we're all born again
1: by the Spirit.
0: Okay. I don't know if they heard that. the greatest born of women, that's less than anyone. John is on this side of the cross. John's operating under an Old Testament covenant. John is a prophet of God, very much likened unto an Old Testament prophet. But Jesus says, "But who? Uh, but he is uh, who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him." In other words, because we share in the blessing of the new covenant, where we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? He, he did not. Did that, it's very powerful. That John, that's the end of the law system. That's the, the old covenant is coming to an end, like literally. And this whole new covenant, John's going to pass off to Jesus. See, the law can only take you so far. Could Moses go into the promised land? No. He represented the law. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth. Who, who took the people into the promised land? Joshua. Where was their demarcation line? The Jordan River. Where did Jesus introduce Jesus? Where did John introduce Jesus? In the Jordan River. River. Where did he say, I must decrease, but he must increase? Jordan River. The law can only go so far. The kingdom of God goes with the new Yahshua. Yes? Okay. Okay, we'll go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Um. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. Isaiah chapter 40. Um, This is just such a loaded, powerful chapter. Um, Now, he says this. He says, um, What shall he say? And then, verse 6. Well, even before that, he says in verse 5 The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The same chapter 1 in John that introduced John the Baptist also says, chapter 1, verse 14, John says, we have seen the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful, powerful ascription to our Lord. Glory is used over 275 times in the Bible. It, glory includes splendor, beauty, magnificence, radiance, and the Bible is primarily a quality ascribed to God and places of his presence. Like when Fred was teaching on the tabernacle slash temple, the glory of the Lord descended, both in the tabernacle and the dedication of the temple. But When Jesus comes, he is the glory of God. He is the Shekinah. By, you know, he's, and when John says, we see the glory of God, you'll see this glory used at his birth. You'll see it in his miracle. Chapter 2, the miracle at Cana, he displayed his glory. His transfiguration, his resurrection, and his coming glory. His coming glory. That's called called the blessed hope. That's why it says the greatest mystery hidden throughout all the ages, Colossians chapter 1, is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is his return, his glorious return. And then we are going to be, even our physical bodies, doesn't matter if we died or we're living at the time, Will be changed. We'll be, that's our glorification. You know, we're, we, when we see Him, we will be like Him. It says that in First John. Does that make sense? Powerful. But God displays His glory even in creation. That's why the psalmist will say Psalm 19: The heavens declare the glory of God; the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. I mean, drive down Lake Avenue on a day like today. You know, I, it's it's like splendor, is it not? I mean, I remember I was overseas for three or four years and I came home for a conference. We don't have no change of seasons there. You have hot, hot, hotter, and then the monsoon season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. But it is beautiful, too. But you come home here late October, early November, and you go down Lake Avenue down through the park system. This thing is like I'm flaming. You know, it's like the burning bushers. You know, shh, I'm thinking, does anybody else see this? Just, shh. but that's the glory of God. Even in a fallen world, it's, his glory is still reflected. But in the person of Jesus, that's direct glorification of him. Okay. So here we see um, this idea, this use of glory, and he's going to use that here uh, when he says, uh, verse 5 of Isaiah, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, all flesh shall see it. And the voice will cry out, what shall I cry? The prophet says, all flesh is grass.'" And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Uh, Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What's he saying here? Again, Isaiah is using this prophetic kind of imagery. What's he saying? Huh? Yeah, but what's he saying about when he says... uh, you know, all flesh is grass. All the loveliness is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. What's he say? Yes. Everything that's created will die. If you take this to the bank, that this is never going to die. It's going to happen. Yeah. This this whole thing here is temporary. It's all transitory. He uses grass because grass is like you know. It comes, it goes, it's, it's just, it's, it's gone, you know? There's nothing sustaining, just like this world itself. Uh, what lasts, you know, what really lasts? Somebody has well said, everything we have uh, uh, when we leave, uh, we leave, but everything we are, we take. Who am I, who are you as a person? How, 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 how close are we to Christ? But everything we have, it stays behind, you know? Somebody has well said, you never saw a Brink's truck following after a hearse, unless they get in the trap, yeah? Yeah, he's, that, that's the key. Yeah, Joyce. Everything else will pass, but this won't. You count on this. I'm you, even though everything would be this Yeah, so that's why he'll use contrast, where he says, even people are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So he's using contrast between the nature or even humankind, human beings. We're going to pass away, but the word of God Will not pass away and that's this idea of the permanence of God's Word uh, Jesus says this heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away you see that, that he's saying my words that's why when Jesus makes these statements we have to be sensitive to the fact that they knew in the Old Testament God spoke to Moses or spoke to Isaiah they said the Lord said or the Lord said here Jesus is saying what my words are eternal that's powerful just like when he says moses said to you thou shalt not commit adultery but i say he's trumping you know they knew god spoke to them, but he's introducing a whole. and they're going who are you you know unless you're god then you can do that you see but this idea of god's word is eternal forever O lord your word is settled in heaven psalm 119 160 the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinance is everlasting it's this idea, the Word of God, this has so many qualities. The Word of God is food. It's, you know, the Word of God is light. It's a compass. The Word of God is effectual. It can convict us. It can encourage us. The Word of God is prophetic. It can tell us what's coming a thousand years before the event happens. But the Word of God is eternal. Kingdom, that song say, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. They will. I mean, who won the Super Bowl three years ago? Come on now, come on. Who cares? I mean, who remembers? I mean, all I know, it wasn't the Browns. Okay, But what I'm getting at, man's endeavors and man's celebrity and man's fame, it's passing. But the word of God, and in, the more the world changes, get with that which never changes. The word of God, and what does it say about Jesus? He's the same Yesterday, today, and forever. You know, that, that, that that's Roxanne. Let me show you this. Uh, turn, if you will, to uh, Psalm 119 for a moment. And verse 89. I'll write on the board. To show you the effect of God's word. Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is the word Psalm, it just is everything about the Word of God. Okay, what does it say in the first verse? The Word is eternal. Okay, so God's Word, His Word is forever, does some say forever or eternal? Eternal. Eternal. And it's where? Where is it located? Heaven. What's the next verse say? His word, what is it? Is it his? Faithfulness. Faithful. faithfulness. Faithfulness. Okay, faithfulness. Let me just see what I got. Um. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled. Your faithfulness is towards the altar. You establish the earth and it abides. Okay, so now we see his faithfulness, which is often equated with his word, that it doesn't change. Now it's where? It's on, now on the earth. earth. It's established. So what's the next one say? Next. Law. So our law, our law. Your law? is this, this, this very day. I mean, here it's in the heaven, here it's on the earth for the generation. Now to this day. And then what does the next verse say? All things are thy servants. What, what does it say right before that? For your law, law is For There it is. Now it's applied not in the heavens, not to all generations out of the earth, not just but it applies to me right now. Read that again louder, please. That's verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished uh, I would have perished in my affliction. Do you see that which was settled for eternity in heaven? has application to our life situation right now, right here. That's powerful. A Wycliffe translator showed me that once. But I mean, it's the idea that that thing is to settle forever and everyone can have application. Somehow I can receive comfort or insight or direction from something that is not going to change. The Word of God is not going anywhere. You know, sometimes I'm in panel discussions with atheists, I was with this at Case Western Reserve and a couple other places, and they quote these books by Hitchens or Dawkins or uh, Sam Harris, Letter to a Christian Nation, blah, blah. I said, you know, and I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I just said, you know the problem with these books? They go, well, they don't have much of a shelf life. <laughs> I'm serious. You go, you go 10 years from now, it's going to be hard to find some of those books on the bookshelf. This Bible is not going anywhere. We go, it stays. You know what I'm saying? We go, it stays. Yeah. It's just not. It's, it's based on truth. It's based on love and it's based on God's promise that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall endure forever. Any thoughts on any of this? It, it should give us a greater appreciation for God's word. No getting around it. Every generation has to reclaim the word of God. You believe that? It's like in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah when they discovered the scrolls and they opened it up. Remember, we did that series last year? Or was it? Well, anyhow, one of those times. But I mean, they. <laughs> They found it, and they read it all day long because the people wanted the word of God. We've got to get back to it, you know, because that's, that's that gives us stability. It gives us the answers. It can answer the skeptic. It's, it's it's everything, you know. It just is. We have to rediscover Okay, now back to Isaiah, and I'll start wrapping it up here. He says, um, where am I? Okay, let me get to Isaiah again. Isaiah chapter 40. Um He says here, uh, now, verse 9, O Zion who brings good tidings. What's another word for good tidings? The gospel. The gospel. Good news. Uh, Get up on the high mountain, O Jerusalem, you bring back good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Be not afraid. Say to the city. So here God's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. Even though they're going through a difficult time, they're still in captivity. They're going to be delivered. Uh, And then he says, behold your God. There's another one of those, uh, behold Uh, messages. He says again, verse 10, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. This speaks of a coming sovereign God. He's coming in power. Uh, His right arm often indicates his strength. Um, Here we see him as a sovereign king, but verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. So who is this coming one who's both sovereign king and a gentle shepherd? That's going to be introduced by a messenger that's going to come and say, prepare the way of the Lord. What I'm getting at, all of these things coalesce on the person of Jesus Christ. And I'll close it, but when you look at the shepherd title or description used of our Lord, and he claims it, for himself when he says in John chapter 8, I am the good shepherd And that's a powerful statement our Lord is making Because remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus And he says, good master, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good He wasn't saying he wasn't, he was just challenging him. Do you know who I really am? But when he takes shepherd and applies that good shepherd you, you go all the way through the Old Testament, from Psalm 23 all the way through, when God refers to himself as the good shepherd. As this, and Jesus has taken that title onto himself. You see what I'm saying? Powerful, you know, when you see the, how this is used. And of course, um, that, that's, that's this imagery of the, of the good shepherd, as opposed to the false shepherds that uh, Ezekiel refuses. They don't care for the sheep, they, don't, they, they mismanage them and all this, uh, but Jesus is indeed, uh, the Good Shepherd, and uh, that's uh, one. What you know? Uh, I'll close on this. What miracle was used? Was was described in all four of the Gospels? There's one miracle, not uh, Jesus' resurrection. Yes, but I mean, there's one miracle because all the others, two will have it, or the Synoptics will have it, or John will just have it alone. But there's one miracle that's in all four Gospels: yes, of five, feeding, five, feeding of the five thousand. Now, this is very important. Because if you take all the Gospels together and you put them all together and get all the information, you'll find out that Jesus had been teaching all day and the people were hungry. And he says to his apostles, give them something to eat. And they say, we don't have anything here, just a little bit of money. And then the little boy has the five loaves and the two fishes. But he says, make the people sit down, groups of 50, and it describes the place as what? There's much what there? There's much grass. And he says, make them sit down, and then he takes it, and he breaks it, and he blesses it, and he distributes it. But when he does that, if you, they right away equate that miracle with Moses in the wilderness where he prayed to God, and God sent manna from heaven. They said, this is the prophet, like it unto Moses. But if you look at that, they're all sitting in clumps on green grass, and he's feeding them. He's replenished them spiritually. He's feeding them physically. What does Psalm 23 says? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He prepareth a tale before me in the presence of my enemies. He restoreth my soul. Boom! Oh, come right dead center on the person of Jesus Christ. Yes? Would people, hearing this, when Christ is there, would they think of David, who was a good shepherd, but who was also the king of the Well, yeah, because don't forget. All the prophecies, you go to First Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. There was this promise of a King David coming, future, that would sit on his throne forever. So they knew this son of David's coming. That's why especially blind people will cry out when they see Jesus, see Jesus, hear about Jesus coming. They'll say what? Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, because they knew when the son of David, he would have these kind of powers, miraculous powers. But to your point, Joyce, they knew there was a king coming. Israel always knew that this king was going to fulfill these, and sit on his throne and rule and reign forever. But who was it? See, that's why Jesus, I, you know, it's beautiful as we go into the Christmas season. He was declared a king at his birth by Gentiles. When the wise men came and they, to Bethlehem and they said, what? Where is king of the Jews? Where is this king? at his death, at his trial, a Gentile by the name of Pilate will say what? Put, above it, put the ascription king, king of the Jews. At his birth, at his death, he's the king. Okay? the rich man didn't, he wanted to stay with the rich. People don't want to be shepherds, because the shepherds were the outcasts and yet you told him he was going to be a shepherd. That to no, he didn't tell me he was going to be a shepherd. You mean the, who, the rich young ruler? So you're talking about To gain eternal life. He said, sell everything, give everything away. And he didn't want to do it. Because he wanted his love. And yet the good shepherd is, and the shepherds in those days would look down upon. Uh, and yet those were the first ones that we told about the news. But people wanted to be the king. Everybody wants to be the king. Nobody wants to be the or look at as a shepherd because they were looked at so badly. Yeah, I think with the rich young ruler, he—I—I I, I don't know. It's hard to interpret everything going on there. But I think his wealth was, uh, is was a stumbling block. It was almost like idolatry. It, it, one gospel said Jesus looked upon him and loved him. He says, "Come on, follow me." You know, uh, but he says he go away sadly because he, um, you know, why didn't he want? To, but at that time, there were people that were definitely recognizing who Jesus was, and others not just were opposed to him, they wanted to kill him. So you get these two camps are separated at that time. Okay, any final thoughts before closing? Okay, good to be back. Good to- <laughs> Don't forget to vote on Sunday. Okay, who'd like to close in a word of prayer? and Pray for our country also.